With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to TNTradio.live. Political commentator and investigative journalist, you're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the broadcast. We're in the second hour of this live show here on TNT Today's News Talk. Glad to have you back with us. Uh, great discussion uh, with our last guest, author uh, Peli Newarth Taylor. Uh, fantastic discussion. Really getting into what I like is looking at some of these uh, historical details that absolutely show patterns of behavior right into the present day. So we're trying to predict what might happen. Well, you got to look back at history uh, to get some indication of where some of these things are headed. So uh, I find that to be a very valuable discussion discussion uh with Paley and uh I do encourage people to follow his program as well here on the network uh, seems to be a wealth of knowledge now listen on the issue of Ukraine let's look at uh some of the, the latest on this and by the way uh let me just add to that whole uh, Zelensky Zeluzhny uh narrative I think a lot of this is just uh punch and judy um so you have sort of various controlled opposition facades being erected here to kind of keep the theater interesting at the end of the day it is kind of ridiculous if Zeluzhny the head of the uh, Ukrainian armed forces if he actually has a high opinion rating in his country I have to be asking two questions one of them is who are they polling are they polling people like in Germany Ukrainians uh, that are emigres overseas in Poland or are they actually uh polling people in Ukraine um are these people you know speaking freely um or are they do they feel constrained and what answers they might give to a pollster this happens all the time so I, I can't see how this person Valerie Zeluzhny uh can be regarded as a success or good for the country on any level uh, when he is the one who's presided over uh, an absolute military route. Uh, Ukraine's been pummeled. They have thrown hundreds of thousands of men into trenches to die for no reason at all other than to lose more territory and to further decimate the country's economy and make it more politically irrelevant. I mean, that's not a success. That's a total failure. So one would expect if if this general... Uh, was doing a good job, uh, you know, that you'd have different results. He should have resigned at some point, told Zelensky to go, uh, you know what, where the sun don't shine, uh, rather than, you know, betray the country. And it seems like Zelensky is obviously the president, the figurehead, the puppet, who has clearly betrayed Ukraine and all the people that have died for nothing. Let's just be honest. and it's It's tragic. You have to weep for the country of Ukraine and for its people. They did not, they did not deserve this. Uh, they had no idea. I think, on, on a bigger level, that they're being played by NATO. I think maybe some of the leaders did cynically. I think even Zelensky figured this out at some point, pretty soon. But he was offered just you know fame and fortune and national, uh, international iconic status. So and hanging out with celebrities, so he just kind of went along with it. Um, but you know, I think some other people within the government definitely knew they were being taken for a ride. 
and so I would think that General Valery Zeluzhny at some point has figured this out, or if he if he hasn't yet, he should very soon. The right thing to do would be to basically resign, uh, throw a protest, and say we want peace terms with Russia, and I'm going to I'm going to make those terms happen, whether Zelensky wants it or not, for the for the good of the country, to save the lives of Ukrainians that are really going to die in vain. For what, you know, for for national vanity, for the, for the far right, uh, for the for the Nazi uh, uh, enclaves in in that country. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, really. I mean, the whole thing is crazy. The whole the whole story has been crazy for the last uh, ten years, but especially the last two. But this latest chapter doesn't make any sense. So uh, that that's that to me, I think would would tell the difference unless the country itself ukraine or what's left of it has gone completely mad and if they have gone completely mad i could hardly blame them tnt's darren denslow yeah i'm talking about the illness actually that has done has been doing the rounds not have we only seen a uh, a mass influx of people waving their covid tests online look i got a red line it's like oh my god people testing. or people you know trying to encourage others to wear their masks um, but there has been a talk of a dry cough. There have been doctors coming out saying we've seen loads of cases of that. Uh, have you been suffering from, you know, a bit of cough and flu or cold or COVID? Well, Darren, I, COVID. I, I just, I just did my eighth test, oh, and okay. um, I, I'm just going to keep doing it until I get lines and lines. Why? Well, because work's coming back up, isn't it? Digging deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk TNT. In a democracy, the majority vote rules. But in most democracies, you can only vote for change every three or four years. To understand what people want, governments and political parties use focus groups. These focus groups can include as little as 20 people. Australia is a country of over 25 million people. Does making decisions based on 20 people sound fair to you? Have your say. Be heard in between elections. Download the 4MySay app now. That is number 4MySay. Meet Norm. He lives with anxiety. But with the help of this latest innovation from Be Normal, he can be normal. Just like everyone else. With the swipe of a finger, you can project happiness, confidence, machismo. Why settle for being real when you can be normal? The Normal Maker. New from Be Normal. This item doesn't really work because there's no such thing as normal. We're all different. What we like, how our brains work. In fact, one in five of us live with mental illness. Don't filter who you are. Start by talking to someone you trust. And remember, there is no normal. So many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now, or blood clotting after the COVID-19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness. Lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Patrick Anderson, your host. We had a little bit of a technical freeze there uh, in the previous segment. Uh, apologies for that. I think we've overcome that with our system. We're back now. We're still in the second hour here. I want to join us right now with Blake Lovewell's coming on the line. Blake is a writer. Uh, he's also a contributor at 21stCenturyWire.com. He has penned a very provocative but very informative article, uh, which is up at 21Wire right now. It's called World War Grift, Who is Driving the Global Defense Racket? We say defense in single uh, air quotes there. Not much defense going on. It's more about offense, it seems. Uh, and the United States is the major offender, along with their partner partners, Britain and their other NATO 
accessories uh, that come along for the ride. Blake, uh, great to have you on the program. And uh, very interesting read uh, you published here. Uh, it's already getting some interest, picking up some interest on X uh, after we posted this morning. Uh, you know, walk us through why, why, wh what is this all about? Why did you write this? Yes, well, thanks for having me on. Um, hi, everyone, and uh, yeah, hope everyone's well out there. Yeah, World War Grift. Um, the title. We'll start with the title. Uh, it came because I didn't really want to say World War Three. You know, it gets touted around here and there, and this isn't like World War One and Two. And I don't even like saying World War One and Two because I think they were a continuous, um, uh, you know, a period of violence with a small cessation for a nice big banking collapse in between. Um, but I think it's much more useful to what you view it as one large arc than two separate entities. And and that kind of leads me on to what's going on now. Um, if you view history as these, uh, you know, small secreted um, itemized uh, events uh, separate from one another, you lose a lot of the um, wide lens view of things, um, which I think, um, um, minimizes how well we can understand history and politics and moving forwards the present day and looking towards the future. Um, if you view things in these itemized, um, you know, little segments like a Wikipedia article that doesn't reach too far outside of its remit. Um, so I then tried to tackle the whole, um, global military industrial complex in one article and quickly realized it's, you know, way too big for that. So I, th I thought, um, I'd give a bit of a gestalt and, um, and a bit of meat on the bone to a theory I've sort of been developing um, in the last year or two that um, most violent conflicts on Earth today are fought for profit, uh, largely profit for the military industrial complex um, that has its uh, fingers in governments, in media um, and in private corporations. Those are kind of the three facets of it. Um, and I think that um, there are a few reasons for that. One large reason is that since the advent of the nuclear bomb, um, it was first used in 1945 and has been, you know, a, um, an overarching um, part of the um, logic of warfare that nobody wants to escalate to the point of uh, nuclear bombs because of mutually assured destruction, um, which is rational. Um, so then why does anybody escalate conflict to the point of violence? Um, because surely if you have a, a hot war, what's known as a hot war, if people are dying um, in violence, things will easily escalate to that point, um, whether or not it's that country, you know, uh, Serbia doesn't have nuclear weapons, um, but NATO members do. And if NATO are fighting the war, then, you know, you're still in that paradigm, nuclear paradigm, and, and we can't escape that. And so I was thinking, um, if we're in this paradigm where nobody should be doing uh, by rational logic doing violent wars then what is the real um, modus operandi or what's the real mission objective um, behind it and um, whilst I point out in the article um, the two Iraq wars of the last few decades were about oil um, to some degree. Uh, the war in Afghanistan was not only a, a regional conflict, but it's about the opium trade and and who um, brackets the CIA controls the opium trade, um, uh, Afghanistan being one of the main sources of opium and heroin in the world. Um, but I think by and large, 
um, particularly with the three largest conflicts going on right now, those being Ukraine, Russia, um, uh, Gaza slash Palestine, Israel, and Saudi Arabia, Yemen. Um, I think all of those are being fought um, and perpetuated by a large degree by the arms industry um, and their media adjuncts and their counterparts in government and politics. Um, and I think that if we then start viewing it through that paradigm, we can begin to tackle the means by which these conflicts are um, being perpetuated. Because, you know, I was getting a bit... Um, you know, a bit down about the state of Israel and Palestine, as I know lots of you uh, listeners out there, I know it affects you, Patrick, I'm always on your ex for the hottest um, tidbits of information. Um, and so, yeah, I know it's affecting people. And then when you're affected, you become disaffected, you 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 don't know what to do. So you just log out of the conversation. Um, so um, towards the end of the article, I sort of try and point out some optimistic routes forward. And then those would be, uh, you know, interrogating uh, and trying to find Find more truth. Uh, and as I say, that the truth is all out there. I only use open source, um, you know, sources uh, on the regular internet. I'm not hacking any military uh, companies to find this data out. It's all out there in the open because um, these, these games are played out in the open. But um, if we shine a light on it, I think that then we can go some of the way to diminishing uh, the power of these uh, nefarious um, groups, um, cadres and conspiracies um, out there. Um, so yeah, it, largely it's an effort to promote peace by, uh, you know, demonstrating information. Um, and yeah, we can dig into in, into some of that information if you'd like. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so what what are the things, the, the main things that uh, that that you discovered that you think are worth highlighting here? Because I, I, we. You know, they mm -hmm. included some of the the numbers in there, staggering numbers in terms of dollar yeah. amounts, of course, and yeah. some of the infographics. But just in terms of the content of of the article, what what were the things that even shocked you? Yeah, well, yeah, the infographics do say a lot, and and it's kind of. Um you know, interesting, you can show the whole world's uh, arms industry in, in an infographic. Um, I found out that China doesn't really report their arms statistics. So as much as we have open source information for um, some arms in the world, um, even the US isn't fully clear about what's going on. Um, today, uh, very much uh, hot off the press, the Department of Defense released a report um, about Ukraine showing that more than half of the arms, once they're sent to Ukraine, um, these, these include like uh, missiles, um, anti-tank vehicles, all sorts of things. Uh, they just go completely off the radar and America is no longer able to track those weapons, which is kind of a uh, uh, very worrying um, sign. And, and actually, uh, the, the figures might be a lot higher for the amount of weapons that are lost and missing, um, particularly in Ukraine, which is why I call Ukraine a, a weapons and money laundering exercise rather than a um, geopolitical conflict. Um, I think the geopolitics has been settled for a long time now uh, that the Russian speaking areas are kind of part of Russia de facto. Um, so continuing to throw billions at it, at a black hole where the US knows weapons are being lost. Um, I, I started to call that out in the article as for what it is, a money and weapons laundering exercise. Um, I also found out how, you know, you know, these companies are bad, Lockheed Martin, BAE Systems, Boeing, um, you know, all of Northrop Grumman, um, all the big arms manufacturers are obviously bad, but I did some delving into the statistics about how they um, uh, try and wash the blood from their hands. Um, 
you know, they uh, I've got the statistics here, um, the websites from all of these arms dealers, um, uh, 48% of them present themselves uh, in terms of national security, you know, the classic nationalism, but 28% of them uh, are about job creation. And that's one point I, I went into in the article They're they're all saying this provides jobs for America, um, you know, but how much, you know, 100 jobs in a missile factory, are they worth the death of 1,000, 10,000 um, civilians? Um, and then, yeah, delving into the statistics there um, about civilian deaths. Um, I found some crazy statistics that uh, 92% of the casualties um, from manufactured explosive weapons were civilians. So when these weapons are being made, uh, it's it's guaranteed that 92% of the deaths from that weapon will be innocent civilians. And, you know, you don't even have to go into the long grass of who is a civilian, who is a moderate, who is a rebel, you know, are the Yemeni insurgents baddies or are they the goodies? Um, uh, you know, even with the statistics that we have available now, 92% of the people killed by these explosives are civilians. So um, it should be, you know, by any humanitarian reading of international law, illegal to manufacture them and to sell them, not just to use them in a way that causes civilian deaths. I think that we need to um, start looking further up the chain uh, for some moral uh, judgments there um because That's, if, that, if that brings allowed, up a good yeah. that brings up a good point so I'll hold that thought like um yeah, you just it. brought you just brought up a good point and and people think of war just in general the practice of war as soldier versus soldier military mm -hmm. versus military but based on those numbers that you're quoting there it's military against people undeniable mm -hmm. it's, not, mm -hmm. it's not even close you can't even debate this right yeah it, it's yeah, definitive yeah. It's definitive, yeah, 92% of the deaths. Uh, and they're bombing civilian areas. They're bombing built-up areas. I mean, you know, the statistics about Gaza are even worse than the averages. Uh, every single hospital in Gaza has been destroyed by Israel. All of those <laughs> is a war crime. How do you treat that as, you know, as a whole? Um, but then, yeah, looking at the trends, the kind of trends that emerge when you're looking at this, so much of the arms is being um, built in the US and UK by a very advanced military industrial complex, they needed a conflict. Um, they're sending most of their arms, a large proportion, to Gulf states, particular Saudi Arabia, Oman, and the United Arab Emirates. Um, so the, you have a consumer class and a creator class, um, and the consumer class is able to kind of um, say, well, we're not building the weapons, we're just buying them from you know um, the US and UK, uh, as well as other Western states, and they are the ones who are the arbitrary of humanitarian law, you know, um, the International Criminal Court and so on are all in um, European states. Um, so if they're selling the weapons, they're, then they're all right to be used. Uh, cluster munitions were, were built in the UK in the 80s. They're now illegal, but they were sold to Saudi Arabia after they were illegal. They were... Mm -hmm then used on Yemeni civilians um, 20 years after it was made illegal. Um, another war crime done by Saudi Arabia, but allowed by the UK and profited from by um, politicians and arms manufacturers in the UK. Um, but yeah, the trend is actually for a very small number of consumer uh, client states to be buying large quantities of weapons and using them on very small areas, your Yemens, your Gazas, your East Ukraines, um, because these conflicts have to remain small 
uh, for fear of them turning into a world war, which, you know, the rationale of the nuclear bomb, as I say. Um, so I believe that um, this whole uh, theory kind of lends itself to there being manufactured conflicts in certain areas for, you know, there's an alliance of um, useful victims because it would be handy for the Saudi Arabians to get rid of the Yemeni, um, the Ansar Allah movement, um, the thorn in the side of the shipping industry of, of the world right now. It would be useful for Israel to do um, uh, horrible acts to Gaza for political reasons, you know, for Zionist reasons, as well as for territorial or access to whatever they perceive. Um, and obviously, there's the uh, geopolitical pipelines argument for regional conflicts. You know, uh, China wants to have its Silk Road, uh, it wants to have pipelines through Burma and so on. You can see conflicts emerging for these reasons too. But I think there's an unholy alliance when you have those geopolitical tensions and the ability for billions of dollars uh, to be spent on arms, which are totally unnecessary. Uh, diplomacy is much cheaper. So why, you know, the question keeps being asked, why do we need Expen expensive uh, to the tune of trillions of dollars or trillions of any currency. Uh, why did we need these continuous wars? And I think that the, you know, the apparatus that is involved in uh, both the media and governments um, works together to help fund this uh, malign industry throughout the world. So you're saying that uh, the answer to the big, the big, the big question, the big, the big question, why um, is that you make money through the process of killing and it's more profitable to do it slowly over a long period of time rather than to drop a nuclear uh, bomb if it's about subduing your opponent surely just chuck a nuke in there and you're done right but uh, mm -hmm. you're talking you're talking about a lot of people a whole system uh, economic and political system that feeds off itself and, and requires this low intensity long-term conflict mm -hmm. dragging out over you mm -hmm. know forever basically uh yeah. and where the real fodder are actual civilians and not people in the military i mean mm -hmm. it seems it seems like it's a type of a business plan although it's a very dark it's a very dark business plan it's, it's pretty clear it's, it's a it's a consumable isn't it it's a consumable. yeah well totally i i just did a uh back of the uh um, you know, piece of paper, uh, some here, you know, based on really rough estimates the US has sent in the period of 2019 to now uh, to Ukraine about $100 billion of military aid. Um, you know, there's various ways of calculating that, but if we give it 100,000, um, sorry, $100 billion, uh, and then we've uh, got estimates there are about 500,000 deaths in Ukraine. Well, that means that we can calculate the price for each death of each Ukrainian uh, fighting age man. Um, and that's about $2,000 uh, or maybe 20000 if we're carrying the zero to be generous. So uh, in the economic rationale of the arms industry, each Ukrainian uh, young man's life is uh, the profit of uh, a month's wage. Um, you know, and they need that to keep going um, because um, they continuously seek profit. Well, another tr interesting trend that, that just came to my mind was that almost all of these jumbo arms corporations went bust at some point. They had to be bailed out. So when they're doing these deals to the tunes of billions, they're not even running efficiently. The, the argument that they do jobs and they stimulate the economy and whatever is totally uh, fallacious. Um, 
you know, because they're so inefficient that all those billions are being just hoarded by a few billionaires at the top. Some of it's going to shareholders. But then I don't think that the shareholders, um, I mentioned in the article, lots of people in the UK have a pension that gambles on stocks to try and keep their pension uh, pot growing. Um, and they buy into the FTSE 100. BAE Systems is in the FTSE 100. There's no tag that says this is, a, you know, a company that's been implicated in war crimes the world over. You know, a company that makes uh, cluster munitions that bomb children and civilians um, to this day. Uh, that's just another profit-making enterprise. So if you can uh, sanitize yourself um, from that, then it doesn't matter so much, just in the same way as you can say, Slava Ukraini, you can slap a Ukrainian bumper sticker on your car and and demand more weapons because you know it's stopping Putin. Um, but you're really just um, kind of spouting off propaganda, in my opinion there. Uh, I will happily uh, engage in debate over it um, because you know uh, we should do all these things in the spirit of a free debate um, but just blindly supporting uh, uh, a war either side you're supporting the arms industry um, you know in the same way uh, as any uh, propagandist might do it during World War II um, you don't want to betray your country uh, don't be a pacifist uh, you know, you're betraying the, uh, the the women and children of the of your country if you if you don't go to war. Yeah, certainly this is this is the way that the pressure is being applied, uh, in especially when the whole thing kicks off immediately. You're you're forced to take a side. You you are mm -hmm. compelled to take a side. You're intimidated, browbeaten. Uh, yeah. Get behind the Israelis. Get behind the Ukrainians, etc. Yeah. And so yeah. you see these firms in the background. The the, the other thing is that. Congress, U.S. Congress and the government, they're, they're really the financier department for this because it's totally subsidized, the whole mm -hmm. industry. It's literally yeah. subsidized. It lives off the public purse, doesn't it? Yeah. It's, it, it's it, a welfare it, It's a welfare industry. Yeah, that's, welfare. What, that's what Ron Paul called it, uh, corporate welfare. Um he was saying that Anthony Blinken's trying to say that what well, Anthony Blinken said that 90% of the uh, uh, money and weapons going to Ukraine actually is spent in the US on the weapons. So therefore, it's mm. good for America because we're spending it on, uh, you know, Anthony Blinken actually said the benefit of He's, American business, local He said the quiet part out loud. He, he, he yeah, gave the game away. He, he totally gave, gave the game no away. No one said that before. That was never spoken. And now people are actually saying that, Blake. Yeah, well, the paradigm it. has shifted, just like how now today the U.S. is demanding a ceasefire. Um, that word ceasefire is a political pejorative that, you know, it would almost have you cancelled for supporting Hamas a month ago. But now it's, you know, the paradigm has moved. And that's why I'm optimistic, because I think the massive uprising on the Israel-Gaza issue has forced uh, political change, just like the farmers in France have forced a political change through protest. Uh, similarly, I'm optimistic that um, if we follow through with our um, uh, demands in any in any field, we can have success and um, to be, um, you know, black pilled and, uh, you know, uh, pessimistic about it. Uh, you just uh, allow the seeds to be sown against you. No, 100%. And, and, and also, I think uh, this has also provided a real opportunity for people. Uh, it's a tragic uh, situation in Gaza, but people are actually taking an interest in who is actually making the weapons. You have, uh, I think it's uh, Elbit Systems in, in the UK supplying, you know, drone tech and all these things directly to, uh, to the state of Israel. Uh, and so yeah. huge protests and actually getting some of that shut down. 
yeah, in fact. Blocking. I mean, amazing. Yeah. So exactly, it, it, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, they 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 blocked the uh, protesters blocked the uh, facilities uh, Velvet Systems, and you know they they actually caused um, military grade um, you know uh, exports to be slowed down and stopped, and therefore hampered it. So you can do that. I read a really interesting story. You know, I didn't make it into the article about a nun who uh, broke into a nuclear facility. She's eighty four. Um, she's aligned with the Quakers, so pacifistic. Um, she broke into a, a nuclear facility, uh, and, um, managed to graffiti on the container of some, uh, uranium, uh, that they were using, um, as well as on a bunker. So one of the crimes she was charged with was, uh, graffitiing on, uh, uh, military property. But, um, but there she's raised so much awareness. Um, and that's someone, you know, who's got nothing left to give. But I think, uh, all of these, um, opportunities afford us uh, a chance to shift the Overton window, to shift the uh, zeitgeist, to shift the the, the general consensus um, in a peaceful direction. And and if we if we just allow it, we're, um, you know, we're obsequious, we just allow uh, ourselves to be railroaded and, and forced somewhere where we don't want to go. So um, yeah, I applaud the people who stand up um, against that. I also applaud the whistleblowers. That's why I'll be there in London on the 20th uh, of February. Um, uh, and I'm sure I'll bring you some interesting tidbits for that for the Assange um, trial. Um, um, but I do think all of these things are coming to a head. Uh, it's very interesting. We're seeing possibly a decline of the American hegemony, which affords us a chance. Um, if we're seeing a, uh, a perturbation in the equilibrium, I would say then uh, at this pivotal point, you have a much greater, uh, you're afforded a much greater opportunity to shape the future. Um, and obviously we would be pushing towards a peaceful future uh, and a more just future, one where uh, international courts actually have teeth and are able to arrest uh, Benjamin Netanyahu or Zelensky for money laundering and murderous uh, intent. Uh, you know, we may not have democracy. I, I, I'm not too much of a fan of elections and representative democracy, uh, a story for another day. But, um, you know, I think that our actions in our lives uh, are much more important than that. Yeah, it's 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 that. Um, and also the fact that, uh, you know, people are coalescing around common values around ideas that they can all agree on and around things like the uh, protecting human lives, uh, treating people equally uh, according to international humanitarian law, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, uh, the right not to live under an apartheid regime, all of these things mm -hmm. like people are coalescing around and, and really rejecting just the craven attitude of uh, some of the opportunists, the people who you just mentioned saying that, uh, uh, the weapons, uh, the arms aid and all that is great. It's good for jobs. It's great for jobs at home. It's good for the economy. I mean, these are things that uh, were always implied, but people are very careful not to be on the, the you know, the, the main cheerleading section, uh, at least mm -hmm. not too obvious anyway. And so that mm -hmm. shame seems to have left the room. Uh, and so that's kind of indicative of the crazy, mad, insane times that we're living in, uh, whereby the elites and those in power become increasingly detached from the, the, the thoughts, feelings, and the will of the people. Uh, you're starting to see this more and more. And I think the Palestine issue uh, has really showed this in, in the most stark contrast that I could remember uh, in a very, mm -hmm. very long time. Very, uh, you know, Before this, people were only coming out for AstroTurf protests like uh you know extinction rebellion climate change 
you know, the Countryside mm -hmm. Alliance. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you couldn't get anybody out for an anti-war demo. It was it was literally no. impossible. You couldn't even not pay since them. Iraq. Yeah, I feel yeah. like the uh, the big um, in the UK we had a million march against um, Iraq. Uh, the UK's intervention in Iraq at the second time, um, and I think that people were very galvanized um, by that not having a success. Um, but then people forget the uh, Syria escalation under David Cameron. Um, there was a popular protest against that. And it did, um, along with uh, Jeremy Corbyn as part of the Labour Party, it did pull Cameron back from the brink of uh, declaring a no-fly zone, which is a technical term for, you know, declaring open war well, on what, Syria. Well, what happened, what happened there was it was actually Ed Miliband. Um, this was just mm -hmm. before the court. Been, uh, so yeah. in 2013, that actually went to vote in House of Commons and was defeated very narrowly. Um, they very were ready narrowly. to go all out on Syria yeah. because of the so-called chemical attack. BBC yeah. ran all kinds of propaganda in the run-up yeah. to this unbelievable yeah. operation. It, it, yeah. it literally, and you're right, Blake, it was because there was a, a smaller yet very focused protest yeah. that 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 was actually very effective. It was really it was enough point accuracy at the totally. time it wasn't it was enough to tip it over and then that meant that syria is not iraq um mm. you know syria still has al-assad um it still has um negotiating cachet it still has um you know uh you know an, a living civilization it hasn't been ossified and destroyed like uh, iraq or libya um and yeah that shows you that little bit can push you over the edge and you know now um uh, Biden and uh, Rishi Sunak have both unilaterally, you know, done these acts of military um, uh, violence in Yemen without parliamentary or congressional oversight or approval. That means that they're too scared of bringing any of these wars to us because we don't believe in it anymore. We don't buy buy their stuff. We don't um, bite the bait that they're dropping for us. Um, maybe there's a, there's too too much red pills, or maybe people are just uh, a bit wild to the game after Vietnam, Iraq, Gulf Wars, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, and so, yeah, pe people aren't biting the bullet anymore. Uh, we're biting the bullet and, you know, taking the brunt on ourselves. And I, I think, yeah, that makes me optimistic as much as it's easy to look at these, you know, hegemonic arms dealers who uh, do million, billion dollar contracts and, you know, jet around the world with uh, satellite systems that can control everything. Um, yeah. In, in the, uh, in the other sense, we, the people have a, a great measure of control and they are uh, scared of us taking rest, wrestling uh, that back from them. Um, you know, we've got these uh, torches being lit all over the world um, and we don't see it in the mainstream media as you mentioned there the bbc with their horrendous propaganda uh, on the syria chemical weapons attack they were also uh, massively pro israel with the uh, um you know early october period um and you know i point out in the article that one of the uh, the boss of bae systems for 4 years whilst he was boss of bae systems roger carr he was also um on the board of the BBC, um, so oh, you'd only get you'd only get puff pieces in the BBC saying BAE Systems bringing the jobs to Lancashire, uh, not mentioning uh, BAE, BAE Systems bombing churches in Yemen uh, and so on and so forth. So you're not going to have the mainstream media, the corporate media uh, overseeing uh, those corporations. But then TNT Radio lighting the 
views for freedom, I think uh, I'm much more optimistic about that um, having some uh, impactful change in the world. And and I know you are, and I know the listeners out there uh, who are taking the time to listen to this and uh, and try and learn something are actually optimistic about what we can do as as people on the world. Well, let's just name that is a Roger Carr. Is that who you're talking about? Was it? Yes. The boss of BA Systems, also on the board of the BBC, folks. I mean, <clears throat> talk about a conflict of interest. That's just as bad as the American mainstream media, where you have all of these defense contractors mm-hmm. on the boards of literally all of the media outlets and the defense. Yeah. So it's yeah. total crossover. So the no surprise the coverage is the way it is, Blake. There's an absolute mm-hmm. conflict of interest there. You're right. It's all about these Spandulis. It's all about the Dosh, the Doshmans. Mm-hmm. This is what's driving it. This is what drives the global defense racket. Blake Lovewell, great piece up at 21stCenturyWire.com. World War Grift, I like that title. It's a good tagline for you. I think that's going to be the title of your next book. Blake, (laughs) who's driving the global, quote, defense racket? Brilliant. Thank you for joining us on TNT this week. Blake Lovewell, much appreciated. Yeah, always a pleasure. And yeah, just doing our little part towards peace, you know, feels, feels a lot better than doing nothing. So thank you for the opportunity. Oh, it's our pleasure. Great work. And again, we'll drop the link uh, to that article in the TNT chat room. You guys want to read that and definitely share it. It's loaded with explosive information, no pun intended. We're going to take a break here with the network. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. When we come back, we'll connect with our roving correspondent, Basil Valentine, for a look at the Middle East diplomacy crisis. Where is this all heading this week? We'll find out on the other side. Stay right there. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The cyclone that's in the north of Australia is kind of unusual for an El Nino season. That's because we have not really had an El Nino season this year in Australia. The Southern Oscillation Index, the longest running measure of the ENSO, or El Nino, La Nina, has not cooperated at all. And we knew this was a problem way back in the Northern Hemisphere fall in our spring because we weren't seeing a lot of typhoons. Usually when you have a big El Nino, you have a lot of typhoons going off and we had the third lowest typhoon production on record. So something funky was going on. However, that Southern Oscillation Index is going to crash for the month of February, which means that our fall should be average in Australia. Now I'm bringing all this up because that crash in February is linked to severe cold in the United States and Europe for February into March. And we're seeing another ferocious storm attacking Norway now. A lot of heavy rain is coming into Europe over the next week. Now the two times that happened, it turned frigid in Europe. Same thing is going to happen. Mid-February to mid-March will be frigid in Europe. You see all these storms crashing into the United States? Well, guess what? It's going to turn frigid in the United States. In fact, for much of the United States, the worst of the winter is on the way. And just think, it all hinges on looking at the weather around Australia. Isn't that nice? Hands across the water. Australia, the States, and Europe. Kumbaya. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. You ever heard of a polyp? Sounds like a rare species of toad. Actually, it's a lump that grows inside me, your bowel. Look, I'm pretty sure if you had a strange lump growing on your forehead, you might get it looked at, right? But when they're growing inside me, nothing, nada. And the polyps I get can lead to Australia's second deadliest cancer. So, until there's a way to make them grow on your face, it's up to you to get me looked at. Got it? 
political commentator and investigative journalist. You're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. We're in the final segment of the final hour of our show today. Great segment with Blake Lovewell. The chat room is lighting up. They love Blake, love what he had to say. We dropped that article as well in the TNT chat community. It is a must read. Like he picked up something I did not know that BAE Systems and the BBC share board members. I mean, this is insane. So it just kind of gives you a peek into the level of uh, systemic corruption we're dealing with here. You're talking about the World War grift. Great, great job, Blake, on on that piece. And uh, folks, also, you want to share this, uh, th- this type of material, you want to copy and just like spray it on social media, whether it's on Facebook or, or X Twitter, or if you're on True Social or Gab or wherever you are, uh, you want to be able to share this definitely. This is quality information by Blake. Let's go over right now to our roving correspondent right now, Basil Valentine. Basil, you've been following the diplomatic crisis uh, that is currently uh, embroiling the Middle East situation right now. A lot of Western leaders are looking for an exit door uh, for this. They're fi- the, the, is the penny finally dropping that Israel is a liability and not an asset? Uh, no, but one one Western leader who might be heading for the exit sooner than they hoped is the king, king of England, King Charles. Mm. who was announced has been diagnosed with cancer. And uh, the BBC, uh, on their website, have a QR code, a special QR code, which you can scan for the latest updates on King Charles's cancer treatment. They couldn't bring themselves to broadcast South Africa's genocide case at the ICJ. That was irrelevant to the BBC. But you have a special QR code for minute-by-minute updates on the King's cancer treatment. So how serious is it? It's, uh, do they know what stage it's at? Or is that level of detail even available? Well, they're supposed to have caught it early, but, you know, cancer's never a, never a breeze, is it? Um, well, some people are speculating whether or not he had the uh, COVID inoculations, which some have linked to uh, cancer uh, and the higher death rates we're seeing. Um, But of course, conspiracy theorists would say that no way would Charles have been administered the active ingredient in the vaccines because, of course, the royal family are in on the fix. So he would have been given a placebo if he indeed had any injections at all. But of course, it may very well be completely unrelated to that. He had some prostate treatment some weeks ago, and it's believed that uh, the diagnosis may be consequential to that. But, uh, you know, 50 years waiting for the throne, and now in just his second year uh, as the monarch, uh, he may be facing a premature demise. Though one uh, one so-called expert said he expects the king to live at least another 10 years. He's 75, Charles. So, you know, 10 years would be uh, quite good going. And a lot of people have pointed out his rather bloated-looking bright red fingers as a possible sign of ill health as well. So, but the, the media fawning, particularly from the BBC, the sort of, ha, ah, ah, you know, the uh, hysteria 
frankly, is absolutely off the charts. But uh, are, you, are you somewhat sanguine about this uh, this news? Because after all, you know they have the best medical care uh, in the country. He's eating organic. Certainly, if anybody has a chance at uh, recovery, it's it's the king. Well, yeah, sure. I'm sure he will get the very best treatment, and I wish him well. I don't, you know, don't want to see him in an early grave, but you know, case sarah, sarah, we've all got to go sometime, you know, and. Uh, I mean, I think should William accede to the throne, let's say, ahead of schedule, it would probably be a mm. bit of a shot in the arm for the monarchy. But for the time being, at least, Charles is... Uh, have, they, have they started speculating the yet? Have they started speculating about William yet? Because you, know you know how the papers are in Britain. They, they, they tend to jump jump to these sort of, you know, yeah. segues pretty well, quickly. Have they? <laughs> anybody talking about this yet? Well, only, only in that he will be king. <laughs> you yeah. know... He well, will be yeah. King William V, you know. So, there isn't an later. awful lot to what sort of king he'll be, who knows, you know. But, uh, you know, the, some people think, oh, well, maybe this is a chance for some change in... The, no, it, soon as soon as Charles's heart stops beating, William is king. Anyway, on to much more important and pressing matters. And uh, Declassified have been doing some sterling work um, investigating the International Criminal Court and the Popinjay installed by the United Kingdom, going back to your conversation with Pelly, as the ICC prosecutor, Karim Khan, a British barrister, mm. uh, who was in fact mired by controversies over how the election was organised. When news broke that he would be the next ICC proper prosecutor, the economist commented that the Conservative government was cock-a-hoop over his appointment. Khan's election was, we were told, surely a sign that Britain still had diplomatic heft. The Foreign Office noted that the appointment of Khan was one of its key achievements in 2020-2021. He had international legal experience before joining the ICC, including as serving as special advisor at the UN investigating the crimes of Islamic State in Iraq. Mm -hmm. As a lawyer in London between the year 2000 and 2010, he prosecuted criminal cases at the bar and was included on the Old Bailey list to prosecute the most serious offences at the Central Criminal Court. He acted for the Home Secretary and other applicants in numerous immigration and refugee law cases. With Khan as its prosecutor, the ICC has demonstrated it can act quickly when it needs to. In February of 2022, for example, when Russia invaded Ukraine, Khan announced the ICC had opened an investigation into alleged war crimes. But he has done absolutely nothing about the genocide in Gaza. His family has a connection to the Conservative Party via his brother Imran Ahmad Khan, an MP who in 2022 was found guilty of sexually assaulting a 15-year-old boy. He was subsequently expelled from the party and sentenced to 18 months imprisonment. What are you suggesting there that uh, this is uh, a circle of corruption here? Um, one would assume, well, being being a Muslim, he, he might be more uh, compelled to perhaps want to, you know, raise an indictment regarding Israel and Gaza. I mean... Well, no, one, not at all. I mean, I think he's a Muslim in name only. 
after his appointment in November 21, he announced the United Nations Security Council that he intended to limit ICC investigations to those referred to his office by that council. And of course, the Security Council includes permanent members of the UK and the US. Investigations that were not referred in this way would be placed under review. These included those into Afghanistan and Palestine that were conducted by his predecessor, Fatou Ben Sauda. Why did Khan initiate these major changes to how the ICC works? The answer, of course, may well lie with the United Kingdom and the United States. The accusations refer to the conduct of the US military in Iraq and would have displeased UK authorities. That was uh, referring to uh, Ben Sayuda's announcement that the prosecutor's office had reached the conclusion there's a reasonable basis to believe that the UK forces had committed war crimes in Iraq. So this guy Khan is basically obviously uh, the UK's man. And given that the UK is still in support of the genocide, it's hardly surprising that he's sitting on his hands. So being the UK's man, uh, ergo, he is also the United States man as well. Um, yeah. So it kind of gives that veneer, isn't it, of legitimacy, the, the the British legitimacy at the ICC. Of course, they're a signatory to it. The United States is not. Um, but isn't that convenient? Because the it means the US can kind of thumb its nose at it, but yet use it as an absolute tool uh, to pursue its geopolitical enemies and rivals and using Britain to make that happen now with the uh, with the current prosecutor there. I mean, it's unbelievable that he hasn't uh, acted on Gaza. I mean, do, do, isn't that as that is the big scandal, isn't it? With the ICC is that they haven't Absolutely. done anything. Absolutely. It is supposedly under review, whatever that is supposed to mean. That's that's uh term for meaning the ball has been kicked into the high weeds and we're going to leave it there for the time being. It's a different story at the International Court of Justice where Nicaragua, of all places, has threatened the UK government with action saying that arms it has provided to Israel may have been used to facilitate or commit violations of the Geneva Convention in the Gaza Strip. Um, Central American country has said it's also issued a written warning to Germany, the Netherlands and Canada as part of the same action. In a bilingual Spanish and English statement, the Nicaraguan government said the four Western nations were being made aware of its decision to hold them responsible under international law for gross and systematic violations to the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. And the uh, Formidable South African Foreign Minister, Naledi Pandor, who's sort of been leading the charge, really, uh, from the South Africans at the ICJ. She has said uh, recent public statements that they intend to go back to the ICJ seeking further rulings because Israel is completely ignoring um, the previous edicts of the court. Now that's significant. Is, is there any timetable on that? Because you know a lot of people say, "Why don't they no. return?" Because essentially, the interim ruling a couple of weeks ago, Basel was like, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna release you on bail. These are the charges. Don't violate yes. your terms of bail." Israel's totally yes. violated the terms that's of the right. bail. So, should, right. is it South Africa that has to come back, or can another country uh, return 
to enforce this? Good, good, good question. And we're in new territory. This is totally unprecedented, certainly unprecedented with the power of the actors in play, as it were, with uh, the United States and the United Kingdom being the you know, chief military suppliers and diplomatic allies of Israel. Um, of course, the day after the ICJ ruling, the Israelis came out with these accusations against the United Nations Relief and Works Agency. But Channel 4 News, the UK-based service, have conducted a detailed investigation and concluded that Israel's dossier against the UNRWA provides no evidence to support its claim. No evidence. So UK, US and other countries have effectively colluded in deepening the genocide as well as deflecting attention away from uh, Israel's ignoring the uh, ICJ edicts uh, on the basis of no evidence at all. None. No evidence. An accusation which uh, uh, even on the latest round of version of events is reduced to four individuals, four people. And those four people apparently are so evil that two million must be starved to death. That's actually the UK-US position. Because possibly four people are bad people, two million must be starved. So four, four out of what, how many UNRWA employees, uh, UN uh, relief? 30,000. Thirty thousand. Yeah, so, yeah. so possibly four. We're not sure. Maybe, possibly four out of thirty thousand. Therefore, we must halt aid. I mean, it's just such a play, isn't it? This was like a, a a document that was spun up by the Israeli intelligence, given as a sort of you know confidential yes. document to Western governments. They looked at it, took it all at face value, didn't question it. It's literally sacrosanct. Oh, it's the Israelis. They have the best intelligence in the world. We're only to find out not much later, what, a couple, a week or so later, it's a total fraud. And, and everyone pulled funding as a result. I can't believe these governments have been played by Israel. And worse, oh, I, I the media, think they were very what's the media's played. excuse? What's the media's excuse, Basil? They Good should question. have checked the document. Everybody knows the Israelis are compulsive liars. Uh, including the British and the Americans. So they were very willingly played. You know, they, this was the excuse they needed, really. You know, uh, you've got to be an idiot if you were convinced by it. Um, uh, uh, meanwhile, on the ground, of course, the situation in Gaza continues to deteriorate. And the Israelis have made it clear they are now going to intensify their aerial and artillery bombardment of Rafa the last remaining so-called safe place in the south of the Strip. They've also been filmed uh, machine gunning people in the north of the Strip who were gathering at the Kuwaiti roundabouts waiting for an aid uh, drop, aid trucks to arrive, and uh, the uh, so-called IDF opened fire on them with machine guns, killing dozens of people. Now, I mean, that's a war crime that right there. Um, it's not the first time of Basil. That's not the first one we've seen either. We've no. seen that exact exact scene happen multiple times. That's the right. footage you're talking about it's 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 circulating now. It is absolutely uh, uh, ironclad. That is actual evidence that is going to the ICJ alone. Well, I hope so. Now it is absolutely uh, uh, ironclad. That is actual evidence that is going to the ICJ alone. 
Well, I hope so. 